Good morning. It's indeed a joy to be here with you to worship this morning and this worship service with you. Uh, I have to say it's more comfortable back there, <laughs> uh, to be perfectly honest with you, or out there ushering. <laughs> but I am pleased to be here this morning and share this word with you this morning. Uh, you know, in our world today, <clears throat> maybe not just today, but in the last few years, we have asked that question of who or what can we really trust in, in this world? You know, we really and truly have asked that question in the last few years, and we probably, throughout our history as a country, we've asked that question, but it's probably more prevalent in our minds right now because of all the things that have happened in our world. You know, we're asking ourselves, can we really and truly trust politicians on both sides of the aisle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're asking ourselves, can we really and truly uh, trust the Supreme Court to do what's right? And the chorus goes on. Uh, we're asking the question, can we really and truly trust those people that we have put on pedestal about the greatest father figure in the world with Bill Cosby, and then we find out things like we found out just lately? Or can we really and truly trust in, um, you know, legendary heroes, Olympic heroes, who, uh, and Bruce Jenner, uh, can we really and truly trust in anything in this world that, that really matters in our, in our lives? And, and A.B. reminded me this morning, and, uh, it's exactly where I'm going this morning, but A.B. reminded me this morning about uh, what Bear Bryant used to do with his freshmen. And um, I played back in the dark ages, uh, back, <laughs> back in the, uh, you know, the early 70s, and so 60s and 70s. And so back in those days, coaches could do pretty much anything they wanted to do to you. And our coach drew that circle of who you could trust very, very tightly very, very tightly. Uh, he would just simply say to us is that, you can trust me. Uh, you know, he used, to, he used to pat his hands with both hands. I could still see him standing there in front of us. He said, you can trust me and you can trust my staff. He said, I need you to believe in me and my staff. We've gotten teams to the promised land before and we can get you guys to the promised land. And, 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 you know, we knew that he had won a lot of state championships, and so we trusted him. He said, I want you to trust my system. I want you to trust my system. My system worked. My system have gotten teams to the promised land before. And if you would just trust me, trust my system, then you can get to the promised land. And we did. And then the third thing he said was, trust yourselves. Trust that, that we as a staff and our system can get the best out of your abilities. Just trust in yourselves. He said, because if you don't trust in yourself, then how can I trust in you? He says, so you got to trust yourselves. And he says, I want you to trust everyone that's in this room. He drew that circle very, very tightly. He says, everything that we need to do the things that we need to do this year to get to the promised land is right here in this room. And there were some years that we lost a great quarterback, we lost a great running back, and he says everything that we need to accomplish getting to the promised land is right here in this room. We may have to tweak things a little bit, but it's right here in this room. 
And then he said to us, lastly, he says, 99% of everything is showing up with a good attitude and working hard. Showing up every day in practice and working your tails off will get us to the promised land. He says, because 99% of everything is having a good attitude and just your work ethics and working hard. And let me tell you, we were successful. We were extremely successful. And that was just all of his rules. He didn't have rules about going to class. He expected you to go to class. If you didn't go to class, you paid for it. He didn't, have a rule, he didn't have any rules about talking back to teachers because if you talk back to teachers, they didn't send you to the principal's office. They send you to his classroom. And you did not want to go to his classroom. Trust me, I was there once, and all it did, took was one time. So he says that what we can trust, and, you know, I've been out of high school now about 40 years. Wow, it's a long time. And I went back, George and I went back, and I, and I saw him, and I said, Coach, you took that out of Joshua, didn't you? He said, yeah, I did, because he's a Baptist preacher now in, in, in South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina. And really and truly, in the first chapter of Joshua, all those five things you see here that, that God is talking to, to Joshua about. And if you start with verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses Moses' aid, he says, Moses, my servant, is now dead. He says, now you and all of these people get ready to cross over the Jordan River into the land that I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. He says, I will give you every place where the soles of your feet touch, as I promised to Moses. He says, your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon, from the great rivers of the Euphrates and all the Hittite country to the great sea to the west. And he says, no one, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never fail you, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but be strong and very courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give to them. That's a powerful word, isn't it? That's a powerful word. He is simply saying, he is simply saying to Joshua, trust me, believe in me, and know that you can trust me. Now, that wasn't an idle statement to Joshua, was it? You guys know the story. You know the story of Joshua. Joshua was there when God came to Egypt and did what? With the ten plagues. The ten plagues were just defeating the, the, the gods of the Israelite people. And one after one, God did what? God struck down uh, the flies. You said, you, you worship flies? You know, here's flies. Frogs? He went one by one and he defeated all the Egyptian gods. And Joshua was there. Joshua was also there when the angel of death came through and the Israelite put, people put what? Put the blood above their doorstep, above their, their threshold. And it says that every firstborn of all of the Egyptians died that night. Not even just the firstborns, but also the animals and everything else. And Joshua was there to witness all of that. 
Joshua was there a few days later when they did what? When they crossed the Red Sea and he watched Moses hold his arms up and God parted the Red Sea and all of the nation of Israel crossed on dry ground. And he also saw when Joshua brought his arms down that the waters came back and received and, and destroyed the Egyptian army. These were not idle promises to Joshua that he could trust God. Because he had seen that he could trust God. He'd seen it. And there's a lot of you in this room, if we just ask for the testimony time, you can stand and say that God can be trusted. I've had cancer and God take care of that. I've had sickness in my life and God took care of that. I've had financial problems and God took care of that. God has proven throughout the generations and throughout our lives that we can trust him. And God says to Joshua, you can trust me. You can believe in me. And you can know that I have your back. He says, every place that your feet touches will be yours. You think about that a moment? Every place that the soles of your feet touch will be yours. And no one will be able to stand up against you. Wow. God said, you can trust me. You can believe in me. So do we need to, with the recent things that have happened in our country, do we need to just throw up our hands and say, wow, we're defeated? No. The Supreme Court is not bigger than God. It's no one. No one. No political party is bigger than God. Nothing is bigger than God. Does culture? Culture is not big. If we go back to biblical times, we think our culture is bad. Go back and read 1 Corinthians. Read those books in the Bible in the New Testament, Paul's epistles. And the same thing that's happened now were happening back then. But God was bigger than those things then, and God is bigger than those things now. And God will have the last word. That's, that's just the bottom line. God's going to have the last word. No matter what's happening right now, God will have the last word in every situation. And, but God don't stop there. He goes on to say to him, you drop down to verse 7. He says, be strong and very courageous. And he says, be careful to obey the laws, my servant, my servant Moses gave to you, and do not turn from them from the right or to the left, that you may be successful in whatever, wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. He says, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written here. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And then he goes on to say, have I not commanded you again, to be strong and be very courageous. God is saying that this is something that you can also trust. It, it, you know, it, it's pretty interesting that he says this to Joshua because Joshua was where? When God spoke the Ten Commandments, Joshua was where? He was right there on Mount Sinai with, with, with Moses. He was right there. He heard the voice of God. 
as God spoke those Ten Commandments to, to Moses. Joshua was there. Joshua believed the law. Joshua believed it because he witnessed it. He witnessed it. But Joshua was also there when they went down off the mountain after that first time, when they broke up those laws because what? Because Aaron had gotten too big for his britches, and he'd allowed the people to do what? To rebel, and he built this golden calf. And so Moses threw down and broke the original ten and went down, and God had to do what? Had to remind them of who he was. And Joshua was there. Joshua was there as the serpent was raised, and God saved the rest of the people. So Joshua knew that the word of God needed to be something that was obeyed. You know, we debate about the word of God. We talk about it a lot. But as A.B. said this morning, we don't read it enough. We don't really and truly read it enough. We can talk about things and talk about the, the, the inerrant word of God, but do we read it enough? Do we hide it enough in our hearts? Do we allow the word to help us to obey the word of God? Do we really meditate on it day and night and allow it to really and truly get into our souls and begin to change our lives and change the way we think and change how we see the world? Because if we really and truly read the newspaper or listen to certain news station, we can think that this world is doomed. And if we listen to too much of that and we don't read God's word, then we begin to act on a hopelessness. A hopelessness that will, will really and truly will not be a pretty picture for the world to see. In these times, the world needs to see a church standing strong. The world needs to see a church standing strong and being a loving, caring place that believes that there is still hope for America and for our communities. And so he's saying, stay with the word. And he goes on to say, if you stay with the word, then you're going to be successful because I'm going to be with you. Now, this is not a pie-in-the-sky kind of success and prosperity gospel. And we need to be really and truly honest with that. It seems as if every five or six, ten years, the prosperity gospel guys get big again and acts with big jets and all those kind of things that fly around in the country. Uh, but God is simply saying that we need to really and truly allow God to work. The hymn that Tim uh, played today was, was a beautiful hymn. And I, I know I'm going to butcher the name, but the, the writer of this, this hymn, he sent his, his three daughters off to America. And he and his wife stayed back. And as would happen back in those days, traveling on the sea was not, not a very safe thing. And the whole ship went down. The whole ship went down. He lost all three of his daughters. And it says that he and his wife followed behind them later. It said he came to the very spot that that ship went down. And as he stood there and looked over into the ocean, it is said that he wrote this song, It is well with my soul. And I've read a few people that have commentated on that and said that even though he had just lost his children, 
He went to the cross, to the cross of Christ, and simply said that it's well with my soul because Christ is in charge. He's in charge. But he doesn't stop there. He says that because you trust in me and because you trust in my word, then you can trust in yourself. It's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? He said, you can trust in yourself because you trust in me. He says, after the death of Moses, meaning Moses is dead. You was his aide. You was his servant. Moses is not walking through that door again. It's now falls to you. The manna falls to you. I can remember, I can remember like it was yesterday. My coach looked over at me and says, hey, look, you're playing tonight. And he waited to the last minute to tell me because he didn't want me to have a nervous breakdown before that. But he just simply said, you're playing tonight. Get in and step up and do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. He says, you got to believe in yourself. He says to him, he says, he, he says that I will give these people this land. And I'm going to use you to do that. Now, can you imagine how intimidated it was? You know, in this, this first chapter, about six times, you can count them, about six or seven times, God says to him, be strong and very courageous. And you have to ask yourself, Georgia say I take too much liberty with scripture sometimes, but you have to ask yourself and read in between the lines why God keeps saying to him, be strong and courageous. Because he was afraid. <laughs> Can you imagine how big those shoes to step in of Moses? You know, if there was a Mount Rushmore, there would be Moses, David, and Abraham on Mount Rushmore, along with God, Jehovah. <laughs> but those guys would be up on Mount Rushmore. Can you imagine? Joshua being born into slavery, born into slavery in Egypt, was a stone cutter for most of his life, is now being asked to lead a nation. Can you imagine all the insecurities he had? Can you imagine what he thought and what he believed? And God says, hey, look, I'm with you. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. But be strong and be very courageous because I am going to do these things through you. Now, please, let me back up a moment now. He's not asking Joshua to believe in just himself. He's asking Joshua to believe in him and his system. And if you do that, if you believe in me, you believe in my word, then you have everything you need to do the things that I need you to do. If I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times from my coach. A.B. said the same thing from, that Bear Bryant said. It's all about trusting me. It's all about trusting my system. And you'll be a decent player. You'll be a championship player if you do those things. And God is simply saying, don't just believe in yourself because you've been with Moses. Believe in me. And believe in what I'm capable of doing through you. You see, Joshua was standing there that day when, when the nation of Israel was about to what? Was about to stone Moses and Aaron. And I'm sure he heard that voice that says what? He said, how dare you? The voice of God came down and said, how dare you touch my servant Moses? He says, when I speak to other people, I send angels to speak to them. But when I speak to Moses, I speak to him personally 
face-to-face, one-on-one, like he's my friend. And so Joshua knew that God was someone in tight places that could be trusted, could be trusted. But then he goes on. He says that you need to trust everyone else. In verse, starting with verse 10, and I won't read it all, but starting in verse 10, he ordered, Joshua orders the officials to go and, and go throughout the camp and tell the people to get ready because in three days you're going to go over. You're going to go over, into, over to the promised land. And he tells them to take their possessions and get ready. But then he goes to two and a half tribes or three tribes there, and he says to them, your lot of land has already been given to you on this side of the Jordan. Your lot of land has already been given here. He says, so what I need you to do is leave your families, get them settled, leave your animals, leave your children, but you're going over. You're going to cross over the Jordan before them. You're going to cross over the Jordan before them, and you're going to stay with them until the land has been what? The land has been totally conquered. You see, my coach used to say, trust teammates and trust everybody that's in this room. God was simply telling Joshua this, you can trust my people. Because you trust in me, because you trust in my system, you can trust my people. You can trust my people. God says in verse 2, he says, you and all these Israelites will get where? Into the promised land. This is not just a Joshua thing. This is not just a Joshua thing. He says you've got to come together and unite to get the job done. And so he simply says to him, says to them, he says, leave everything here and then cross over. And then I love what they say, you know, down when they answer him down, down about 16, it says, then they answer Joshua and says, whatever you commanded us, we will do. And whatever you, wherever you send us, we will go. And this is the thing I think Joshua probably just died laughing. He says, just as we fully obeyed Moses, and they didn't fully obey Moses. But, but they say, just as we fully obeyed Moses, we would fully obey you. He says, but whoever rebels against you, uh, against your word, he says, we would do harshly to them but, and put them to death. But he says, only be strong and courageous and lead us. You see, it's very, very important if Beach Haven Baptist Church is going to move to the next step of where God wants to get us, it takes absolutely every family in this congregation. In chapter 4, you're going to hear him say, okay, pick out one person from each tribe and go out where the priest has stopped the water, and I want you to get a, get a rock, put it on your shoulders, and I want you to take it on over, and the night when you camp, I want you to put it up as a monument. And when your children ask you about this, you need to simply say to them, this is when God stopped the Jordan and allowed us to cross over. What a powerful word. What a powerful word. What are you simply saying? And, and the same thing my coach was saying, everything that we need to accomplish the task to trans- help transform this community is right here. It's right here. But it's not going to take seven tribes. It's not going to take eight tribes. It's not going to even take ten tribes. It's going to take all 12, all 12 to accomplish what God wants to be accomplished. And he's simply saying that we have to join hands and get ready to do the things that God really and truly needs us to do. I, I, I heard a great message a few weeks ago 
by one of John Walker's uh, contemporaries, uh, Gabe Norris, that works with the uh, Connect Ministries. And he was talking about that we don't celebrate anymore. We don't celebrate with our children all the things that God has done in our lives. They don't know our stories. They don't know what God has done in our lives and through our lives. And he says, that's one of the reasons why our country is the way it is now. And he went to the verse in Judges, and he says, in that, 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 that mind-boggling verse, it says, it says, there came a time when the nation of Israel did not know God and all the things that God had done for them and did not trust God to work and move in their lives. And he asked the, the congregation, why? Why was that? And he says, because families stopped celebrating the festivals and stopped celebrating the things that God was doing in their lives. So a nation of people came along that didn't know God. How relevant that is for us today. Eight million people in this state are lost. We're no longer considered the Bible Belt because there are more lost people in the state of Georgia than there are saved people in the state of Georgia. A generation of people come along, and they don't, they're not even church. They're not even thinking about going to church. You've heard Lex said it. 2% of 166,000 people in the Clark County area is in church this morning. 2% of that is in church this morning. Lex said it about five or six years ago to us as a congregation. The things that needs to be done, it needs to be done by us and by families. But, but God doesn't stop there. In, in the sixth chapter, you know, I, when I work with the football team, you know, everybody went to the sixth chapter. They, they forgot about the first five chapters, but everybody went to the sixth chapter. <laughs> this thing about showing up, this thing about showing up, you know. In the sixth chapter, those of you who have served in, in military, you know how insane this chapter is when you take a look at it. God simply says to Joshua, he says, okay, we're going to go to Jericho. And, you know, little known fact that Jericho had sat there for generations. Jericho was the, was the buffer there for all, people, all nations that tried to invade this land. And Jericho had high walls, and Jericho was pretty bad boys. They were the Philistines at the time. They were pretty bad boys. They have stopped a lot of folks that came, tried to invade this country time after time. And God gives them a plan that's, that's kind of sound like it's insane, isn't it? God says to them, okay, the first day I want you to get the priest. I want you to get the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to get, you know, get some musicians behind them. And then I want you to have the rear guard of some, some fighting men. And I want you to walk around there once. I want everybody to be quiet. Nobody says a word. Just let the, let the trumpets play. And I want you to walk around, walk around Jericho. And that's what they did. Can you imagine if the staff said to you guys, hey, guys, we're going to reach Athens, and what we want you to do is walk around with musicians and just not say anything. What would we say? 
We say we're cr they're crazy. The staff is crazy. This showing up, this showing up with a good attitude and working hard. You look at that. Not one person said one word to Joshua about that. They got up early in the morning, they walked around one time, they went back, and they spent the rest of the day there. And they did that six times. Nobody rebelled, nobody talked back. We never done it this way before. No one said any kind of thing like that. And on the seventh day, God says, okay, we're gonna walk around and I want you to give, walk around seven times, and I want them to give a real loud blast and I want you to yell. And when you yell, the walls are going to come down, and I want you to go in and slaughter them. And guys, that's exactly what happened. Kids sing it all the time. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. That's exactly what happened. Can you imagine that? They showed up. They showed up with a good attitude. They showed up doing the things that God called them to do. And look how God showed up. You see, we can't, we can't beat God showing up. God's going to always have the last word in everything. I, I can't tell you how many times I've said to a student who says to me, well, my girlfriend left me, this is happening, uh, my grades are bad, I don't have money to finish school, all kinds of different things. And I would say to them sometimes, God's going to have the last word on this. God's going to have the last word on this. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I've been around long enough to know that if you do the things that you're supposed to do, that God will make a way out of no way. And that's what happened here. They, they, they trust God. They trust the system. They believed in themselves. They believed in each other. And they showed up with a good attitude, and God just did some amazing things there. So who we can really trust? One last story, and Georgia's not here today, so I can tell one sports story and get away with it, and she won't shoot me. We played our Crosstown Rivals. I think I was in ninth or 10th grade. Crosstown Rivals, and we'd beaten them to a park every year. We'd come up the first half, and we're down 21 points. 21 points to them. And we'd come in, and we'd, we'd, we'd memorize all of our coaches' uh, halftime speeches, and so we came in and we knew he was going to blast us, and he's going to blast us with number one, not number two or number three, but number one speech, and we, we've memorized them pretty much, and so we're sitting there and we're waiting and, and thinking that, boy, he's going he's to really give it to us tonight, and we, he came in and he says, take off your uniforms, and we hadn't heard that before. <laughs> And so we're looking around at each other, and he says, no, I said, take it off. You're not, you're not worthy to wear that black and gold, so take it off. And, and so we hesitated a little bit, and so he, he snatched one of the big guys up on front and started pulling his stuff off, so we, we followed Sue, and we, we stripped down to our, our, our skibbies, and, uh, and he just started talking. He says, I've never lost to these guys as a player. My, my coach played, most of our coaches played for, for Booker T. Washington. Schools were, were pretty much segregated at that time. And so he said, we've never lost to them. 
as a player. He says, I've never lost as a coach to them. And he says, I'm embarrassed because my family is sitting up in the stands. My teammates are sitting over there in the infield. Uh, it, and he says, I'm embarrassed tonight, and you guys do not deserve to wear this black and gold. And so take it off. And so we did. And so as he's talking, he begins to say that I've never lost to these guys, and I'm not losing tonight. He says, all I need is 11 people to put their uniforms on, and we're going back out there. And so we all reared up by that time and ready to run through the wall. And he says, no, no, I'm not talking about all of you clowns. You stank the place up. You polluted it up. So I just want, I just really and truly want guys that are ready to play. Because he says, not on my watch will we lose to these guys tonight. And he just started screaming and yelling, not on my watch. Not on my watch. I need some people to, 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 to really and truly come out and play. And that became the battle cry for the rest of the evening. We put our uniforms on and we went out. And we were getting kicked, balls kicked off to us. And Bruce, one of our 4 by 100 guys, was back there. We huddled up and he, Bruce looked at us and said, not on our watch. We're not losing to these guys tonight. We're not. Not on our watch. Bruce catches the ball on the, on the two-yard line and takes it all the way back. And it's getting... It's, it's getting really big now on the sideline. Everybody's screaming and yelling at each other, not on my watch. Kickoff team goes out and says, not on our watch, not on our watch. We're going to pin them down there, and we're going we're to stop them. And that's what happened. Pin them down there. The defense comes out. Same thing, not on our watch tonight. Three, and they punt the ball back. Bruce gets it again, and he takes it all the way back again. And it, we are going insane. The stands are going crazy, and we're just going crazy. And everything that we're saying to ourselves is just simply this, not on our watch. Not on our watch where we lose tonight. We come back, beat them by 21, and the battle cry all the way to the locker room, all the way to singing the alma mater in the end zone where all the former players hung out at, is not on our watch. Not on our watch. This is our watch. This is our watch. You all know the history of Beach Haven Baptist Church, and it's a stellar history. But now it falls to us, and Moses is not walking through that door. Dr. Sin is not walking through that door. It falls to us to be what God has called us to be. If we're going to transform this community, if we're going to change this community, if we're going to change our own families, the responsibility falls to us. All we need to do is trust him. I remember Jesus on a very dark, dark evening, praying three times, Lord, take away this cup. Take it away. But each time he prayed, not my will, but thy will. And you know what he did. He went to the cross. We want to give you an opportunity today to allow God to work and move in our lives. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, as Tim come back to, to, to play, I want you to get up from wherever you're sitting at and say, not on my watch today am I going to be the person that holds everything back. If you hear that you need to rededicate your life to Christ, and say, I need to be the person I need to be in my family and in my home. And the altar is open for you. The altar is open.
But if you're here tonight and you need to accept today and you need to accept Christ in your life, the staff will be coming here to the front and they'll be waiting as you respond. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful for your love and your grace and your mercy. We are grateful, dear God, that, that we can trust you. And not only can we trust you, but we can also trust your word. And because we trust in your word, we can trust in ourselves. And we can trust in our church and your people. Father, help us to show up. Help us to show up and do the things that we're called to do and watch you show up. 